God, uh, we invite you to speak to us here this morning. Um, yes, we come with a sense of expectation and anticipation, oh God, that you, um, you want to meet us here. God, I don't know why, but, but those words as they come out of my mouth, um, even cause me to feel emotional. You want to meet us here. God of the universe, it is your desire to engage and interact and be real to each individual in this room and to us as a body. And so, oh Jesus, we come with a sense of expectation and invite you to speak. In Christ's name, God's people together said, Amen. Remember where we were last week, John 15, uh, chapter 15, verses 1 through 11. Jesus begins to unpack this metaphor of the vine, the vine dresser, the branches, and the fruit. And what he tells us is that we are the branches, and we are meant to bear fruit. And there's a lot of kind of fruit that we're meant to bear, but what we did was we summarized it and said, the fruit that we are meant to bear is the fruit of love, justice, mercy, and humility. In other words, he has shown you, oh man, what is good? And what does the Lord require of you? To do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. That's the fruit that we're meant to bear as branches. And if we are disconnected from the vine, apart from him, Jesus says, you can do nothing. But if we are connected to the vine, we begin to bear fruit. And the vine dresser, that's God, our heavenly father, begins to prune our life a little bit, lift us up, uh, take things away and, and encourage us to continue to bear more fruit, fruit that will last. And at the end of that uh, pericope is the $2 kind of theological word, but at the end of that section, that metaphor, at the end of that paragraph, Jesus makes this statement. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. If you have a Bible on you, please write in it. If you have our Bible from the seat back in front of you, pretend you're writing in it, okay? Don't actually write in it, put it back. But if it's your Bible, I want you to underline, highlight something, put an asterisk next to these words, joy, joy. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the basics of joy. He's going to launch into this paragraph, this section, where he's talking, he says, these things I've spoken to you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. This is the purpose, so that you will experience joy. This is like joy 101 for Jesus. Now watch this. I think this is absolutely fascinating. I was thinking about this this morning. Recall the context. Jesus, within about 24 hours here, is about to go to the cross. A couple of days later, he would rise again from the dead. About 40 days after that, he would ascend to be with his heavenly father and the spirit would come on his disciples in other words while he was once physically present with them near to them walking with them eating with them talking with them living life day by day with them he's about to be gone so th this is why this is why the basics of joy here are so relevant to you and me is because Peter and Paul and James and Bartholomew and all these guys that had been walking with any time they had a question, hey, Jesus, uh, you know in Isaiah 6 when this thing's happening, will you explain that? Jesus say, okay, yeah, I'll explain that to you. Or any time they were scared or afraid and Jesus was sleeping in the boat, right? They go or wake Jesus up. Hey, we're terrified. Or any time they're like, man, I don't really know how to pray. They would just come to Jesus and go, would you teach us to pray? And Jesus would go, sure, I'll teach you to pray. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Pray that way. 
They had Jesus so near to them, so close to them, physically present with them, living life with them each and every day. And within 24 hours, he'd be gone. What he's about to do in the verses that follow is he's going to say that joy that was so easy and accessible to you because I'm physically present to you is going to be different now. It's going to take on a different shape. And you're going to have to do some things a little bit differently when I'm gone in order to experience that joy. Here's why it's relevant. Because there's some of us in our life that the joy of Jesus has waned just a little bit. Maybe there was a moment in your life where you were experiencing spiritual fervor and spiritual joy and you were excited and you were reading a bunch of books and you were praying all the time and God just felt so near to you like you could just ask him a question. Hey, how do I pray? And you felt like you got an answer or you felt like every time you picked up your Bible, it's exactly what you needed to hear. And now you pick up your Bible and, it, and you turn to numbers and it says there was 110,000 from the tribe of what, what in the world is this, right? You feel like God is distant. God is gone. And Jesus is about to tell his disciples, how do you maintain your joy when I'm gone? When I feel distant from you. There's been times in my life where I felt so near to God. I remember one time uh, I was on a drive um, and I, uh, I, I needed to get, I was praying on this drive and I needed to get gas or something. And I felt like so close to God, like he was hearing my prayers, like he was right there in the car with me. I remember I pulled over, I opened the door and I popped out to get gas and I looked back down into my car and said, I'll be right back. To a person that was not there. But Jesus felt so close to me. Maybe you felt that way sometimes. And Jesus is saying to his disciples, I'm about to feel far from you. In fact, I'm, I'm going to be far from you. And what he'll eventually say here is, where I'm going, you cannot come. So what is it that we do in the meantime to maintain and sustain that joy? And here's what he's about to say. And, and, and this is how he bookends with two verses. He bookends this next section with basically saying the same thing. Here are the two verses. He says, this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. And then he concludes his section this way. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Those verses look similar to you? Good, because they're basically saying the same thing. That's John 15, 12 and 15, 17. One opens the paragraph and the other closes the paragraph. Check it out. Three things I want you to see. This is not a suggestion. This is not, this is not a request. This is not a if you get around to it. This is my commandment. It's an imperative. Do this. I'm God. It's my commandment. Same thing here. These things I command you. Second thing. The command is this. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Everybody say that with me. What? Love one another. That's right. Love one another. And then Jesus says this, which I really love. He says, love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you. Okay. So here's what Jesus is saying. Here's, here's what he's saying. He's saying, I have loved you this way by washing your feet. I have loved you this way by serving you. I will eventually love you by going to the cross for you. Now you turn and love one another in that same way. And what you'll find at the end of that path is joy. Jesus is saying, follow me, find joy. That's what he's saying. Follow me, find joy. I'm going to walk this way towards sacrificial love. He's saying, watch the way I love you. Then you love each other in that same way. 
And what's the promise? These things I have commanded you so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. So let's talk about it one piece at a time. If Jesus is asking us to follow him and therefore find joy, what is he asking us to follow, us, follow him in? He's saying, look, follow me. Uh, uh, next verse, please. Uh, this is my commandment that you love one another, that you love one another. So this joy that Jesus is talking about, this deep abiding spiritual happiness, this connection with God is experienced within the context of community. You have to love one another. If you are a rogue Christian, it's just me and God, baby, you are going to hit a glass ceiling when it comes to spiritual growth. You're going to hit a glass ceiling when it comes to joy. You're going to hit a glass ceiling when it, when it comes to experiencing all the great and wonderful things God has planned for you. You must love one another. You see it? Joy isn't joy until it's shared. That's what Jesus is saying. Joy isn't joy until it's shared. It's not complete. It's, it's not comprehensive. It's not all-encompassing. You may experience a little bit of joy when it comes to you and God, and that's a good thing, but you have to take that next step and share it and love one another in order to experience the fullness of joy. You know this intuitively because all of the things in your life that you love most, you like sharing them with other people. Like food, right? Like you go to a new restaurant and you taste the thing and you're like, oh my gosh, this is the best congee I've ever had. In fact, the best congee I've ever had, this, is, this, this has absolutely nothing to do with my sermon this morning. I just want to tell you, the best congee I've ever had is one of our elders made it. Uh, he, he, he sang on the worship team this morning. We over here, his name is Virgil. He makes congee that I feel like like it was stirred by the very hand of God. I mean, this stuff is so good. And you know what? I want, I want for my daughter to taste that. I, I, you know, Amy, I want for Amy to taste that. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so good. See, because it brings me joy and I want to share it with other people. Uh, incidentally, th the same thing happens with horrible food. Do you realize that, right? Like, taste it. Like, I think this milk is bad. Taste this. It's like, no, but Amy, I don't want to taste that. I trust you. It's sour milk, right? Same thing happens. But we want to share joy. People don't go, you know what? Big game tonight, Super Bowl, if you're, into, if you're into football, all that stuff. We're not like running into our homes to watch that game by ourselves, are we? We're looking to get together with other people because it's fun. It's joy. And Jesus is saying joy is not complete until it's shared. Okay, so you have to be in a shared environment, a community environment, and once you're in that environment, love one another, and in order to love one another, guess what you have to have? An other. You do. You do. You can't do this by yourself. You have to have an other. And when I typed this up, actually, when I typed up my, my slides, uh, this, it auto-corrected to an otter. So you don't have to have an otter. Okay, but... but but, but seriously, though, if you have an otter, I would love to come meet your otter. I love otters so much. They eat, they swim on their backs, eat like this. They're so good. Love them, love them. But this is not an otter, okay? This is an other. So let's define that word other. It's up here on the screen. Other could be defined as one, a different or additional one. Two, don't write this down. Don't write this down. It's going to be too much. Two, one that is psychologically differentiated from the self. Okay, three. That's my favorite one. Ready? 
One considered by members of a dominant group as alien, exotic, threatening, or inferior. And that's real. That's a real definition of the word other. Do you think, do you think there are people in the anim- like animals in the animal kingdom who would say that otters are alien, exotic, threatening, or inferior? That could define otter, too. Isn't that weird? Hmm, interesting. That joke didn't land. Um... So so when Jesus comes along and he says, love one another, here's what he's not saying. Find people that are like you. Gender, ethnicity, sexual orientation, age, upbringing, faith background, and, and, and then love those people that are most like you. And I will just, I'll just be straight with you. Most of us, get into the habit very, very quickly unless we're extremely strategic and extremely systematic. We just hang out with people that are like us, don't we? Think about the people in your life that are most like you. Or the people in your life that you spend the most time with, hang out with the most, feel closest to. They are probably very, very similar to you. That's not bad. That's not wrong. I'm just saying that Jesus is commanding us to grow outside of that group and start to go, you know what? Who might be different than me? Someone who's older someone who comes from a different country, someone who has different values than me, and it's very difficult to maybe have a relationship with that person because of whatever reason, I need to figure out a way to engage with them, interact with them, and love them. Therefore, they have to be in my life. You cannot love someone from afar. It doesn't work that way. Because love is an action, it's not a feeling. I can feel love from afar, but I can't act lovingly from afar. I have to be up close. So in order to love one another, you have to have an other. And here's the great news. Next slide. Here's the great news. If you are married, you have someone in your life that is odd, different, weird. You do. It's your spouse. I'm serious, man. Think about how strange your spouse is. And you are the only person on the planet that knows how weird your spouse is, right? Right, like nobody else knows those weird things they do for bedtime routine, you know? Nobody else knows that what they say when they're talking in their sleep. You do. You're like, that is weird, are you having a dream about otters? That is strange. What is, what is happening? Nobody else knows all their little idiosyncrasies. Think about all those strange, different, otherly things about your spouse. On a scale of 1 to 10, 10 being the weirdest, how weird is your spouse? Say it out loud. On 1 to 10, 1, 2, 3, go. 15. Yeah, 15, right. <laughs> right. Shoot, man, I'm married to Amy. Like, I want to start a Twitter account. I do. It's stuff Amy says. And I just want to post all the strange stuff she says. She says some strange stuff. Lots of it's like offensive. Like, I can't even tell that story to our congregation. That's, that's strange. That's weird. If you're not married, guess what? You live in Toronto. So there are lots of others, aren't there? Six, eight million of them that are different than you, 
praise God, we have an opportunity to be around an other and love them really well. And Jesus says, okay, all right, so now you have an other in your life. And by the way, the implications of the gospel, the implications of this love one and other thing uh, exist throughout the New Testament. That's why Paul comes along and says, in the gospel, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, no slave nor free, nor male nor female. Everybody's come under one roof, and those differences are united in Christ. So love those other people because we're united in Christ. And then, and then we'll say, okay, all right, I get that. So how do I do that? So Jesus Jesus says, he says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. This is, this is how you do this, how you love another well. I love the fact that Jesus says, greater love has no one than this. In other words, what he's saying is, um, you can love people in some ways. There are ways that you can love people, but this is the best way. That's pretty cool, right? Like, I, you know the five love languages, that Gary Chapman book, and you know my love language is words of affirmation, or gifts, quality time, uh, 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 physical touch. And what's the fifth one? Excuse me? Acts of service. Okay. Me personally, here's my deal. I am all five languages. I'm, I'm a multi-love lingual person, right? You may give me gifts. You may, you may give me words of affirmation, all those things. And, and Jesus says, you know what? Those are good things. Those are, those are great ways to express love. You know what the best way, the greatest way? He says, lay down your life for somebody. Sacrifice for somebody. Here it is, that love comes in the form of sacrifice. True love, the best love, the greatest love comes in the form of sacrifice. And frankly, we don't like this all that much, do we? We don't really like the packaging that love comes in. We like the idea of love, and we may even like the end game and feeling in love, but we don't necessarily like what we have to do to get there. Does anybody in the room remember going to buy CDs when you were growing up? CDs, raise your hand, CDs, CDs. Do you remember how difficult they made those things to open? Do you remember that? Like you get the the cellophane off and there's no place to peel it anywhere and it's like did they vacuum seal this like what has happened like nasa has created this packaging and you peel all that off and what's underneath it more packaging like tape on top of that thing and like all i want to do is get to the cd that's kind of how i feel about love it's like that's the end game. That's the thing I'm here for. That's what I want to experience in my life. But what I've got to endure is sacrifice, is effort, is work. And there's no way around it. And we ask ourselves, can we love another way? Is there another way to do this? And check this out. Jesus asked the exact same question. Because just a few moments later, he would journey. Actually, he's on his journey right now to the Garden of Gethsemane. And when he got to Gethsemane, he begins to contemplate the ways in which his heavenly father is calling him to love not just his disciples, but you and me and love the world. And he knows it's going to require sacrifice. He knows it's going to require the cross. And look what happens. It says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. If it's possible, and this is a really base way of saying it, but I'd like to get to that music that I bought without having to endure all this garbage. I, I'd like to get to the joy. I'd like to get to the end game without having to go through this. Let this cup pass from me. This is an honest, fervent 
uh, sweat like drops of blood kind of prayer. He knows that love comes in the form of sacrifice. And he knows how hard that is. But the father speaks to him. Look at what Jesus says. He says, but not as I will, but as you will. We need more Christians that would say that, by the way. We need more Christians that know the only way to love each other and to love the world is through sacrifice. And that's going to be hard, difficult. It's going to feel like I'm in the muck and the mire sometimes. But not as I will, but Father, as you will. And you know, it's funny, we talk about the other, we talk about people that are hard to love, we talk about people that don't necessarily respond all the time, and people that, you know, friends or, or, or people even outside of our sphere of influence that just become challenging sometimes. We, you know, um, a friend of mine calls them EGRs, extra grace required, you know. It's the kind of people you don't really want to sacrifice for. And watch. Watch how this one moment in Jesus' life shows us that sacrifice is not easy, but I'm going to do it anyway because I know it's the only way to love well. And watch how he probably isn't all that excited about sacrificing for these folks. Because watch, watch, next verse, next verse. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He's just left them and said, I've got to go pray because I'm probably going to die soon. Okay, pretty sure that's going to happen. Would you just stay here and pray for me? And his disciples go, totally will do that. And then he leaves and they all go like this. It's like me on a plane, just gone, out. Jesus comes back and you can't even stay awake? Like I've got to go to the cross and you can't even stay awake? And yet he did go to the cross. He did sacrifice. He did bridge the gap in order to love the other. Check this out. Love comes in the form of sacrifice. And there is no shortcut, friends. There's no shortcut. That's what it takes to love the other. It's to lay down your life for your friends. Jesus leads by example and he calls us to the same life. Remember Richard Simmons? You like Richard Simmons? I love that guy. I love his hair. I love to have his hair when I'm that age. It's amazing. I think he's very good at his job, extremely good at his job, very motivating guy. I've heard stories of him personally, really great stories about him. I got a lot of love for Richard Simmons. Uh, but Richard Simmons used to answer this question, and, and, I, and I love this. People used to ask him, like, what's the trick to losing weight? Like, what's the trick? You know, we all want a trick, don't we? We want a pill to take. Or we want one of those bands that goes around our gut and it just shakes the weight off. You know what I mean? Or, or we, yeah, there's, there's those bands. Like somebody shook your head. There's these, these things. They're old. And they go, there's like a big belt thing. And they vibrate. And you do that for like six minutes. And then you get off and you look like Michael Phelps. I mean, it's amazing. It's amazing. That's, that's really how they work. That's not true. We want lap band. We want liposuction. We want all the, all the other stuff, freezing, all that stuff. This is what Richard Simmons used. What's the trick to losing weight? He always used to say this. Eat less, move more. Y- yes, but I want the trick, right? I want the trick. Yeah. Okay, push away from the table, put down the fork, and move your body. That's it. There's no shortcut. That's what it is. Put less calories in and burn more. This is the same thing when it comes to love. 
to loving one another well and loving the world well. There is no shortcut. It requires work, effort, and sacrifice. It requires putting my rights aside. It requires putting my preferences aside. It requires putting my time aside. It requires sacrifice for somebody else. But this is what Jesus is calling us to. This is his commandment, number one. And his promise, number two, his promise is that joy in all its fullness is waiting on the other side. Let's keep going. We'll finish the passage and we'll be done. Jesus says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. Look at this distinction he's drawing here. I think this is awesome. He says, you're not my servants anymore. And here's why. Because servants don't know the big plan. Servants are just told, you go do this, you go do that, you go get this, you go bring that, and then come tell me when you're done. But that's not who you are. He says, I've revealed my grand plan to you. Everything the Father has told me, I've revealed to you. And subsequently, we can say about ourselves that everything God has in mind for his grand redemptive plan, you and I know. Therefore, we can be called friends of God. So here's, here's why this matters. Here's why this matters. Listen really closely. That you are already in the know. You know that? You're a friend of God. No longer a servant that doesn't know what his master is doing or her master is doing, but a friend of God. You know the grand plan. You know that God is up to restoration, redemption, and reconciliation in the world. You know that God has called you to bear the fruit of doing justice, loving mercy, and walking humbly. You know what God has called you to. You're in the know. Therefore, we ask ourselves this question all the time. What is God's plan for my life? What is God's plan for my life? You know what God's plan for your life is? That you would love other people sacrificially. That you would walk with him humbly. That you would do justice in the world. And what we typically mean by that is, oh God, there are two really great girls in my life. Which one of them should I marry? Two things. If there are two really great girls in your life that you are considering marrying either one of them, you may need to reevaluate your relationship choices, okay? Uh, because you shouldn't be dating two women and consider marrying both of them at the same time, okay? Number one. Number two, here's my advice, biblical advice, ready? Marry the prettiest one. <laughs> I mean, I, we, we, we walk around like when, when, it, when we're considering jobs, when we're considering schools. We're, I just want to know God's will for my life. I just want to know God's will for my life. His will for your life is that you would sacrificially love people around you. He's given us that. We're in the know now. So, so now that we're in the know, we're participating with him in his redemptive plan, okay? And we don't have an excuse, to sit on the sidelines and spectate, not participate, to not engage in God's plan with him and join him in his mission to renew and restore all things. We don't have a choice anymore because Jesus comes along and he says, everything I know, you know. So now let's get busy. Loving one another sacrificially. Finish the passage. You did not choose me, but I chose you. 
People use this verse all the time to advocate for a particular grid or a particular framework of theology. Interestingly enough, it's a particular grid or framework of theology that I feel compelled by. But, but the point here is not like foreordination, predestination, or whatever. Jesus is saying, I've called you, chose you for a purpose. And the purpose is more important than the calling, that you bear fruit. Fruit that should abide. That's why you're here is to bear the fruit of love, justice, and mercy in your life so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. These things I command you that you will love one another. There it is one more time, that you will love one another. That's the commandment of John chapter 15, verse 12 through 17, that we would sacrificially love others and thus find joy in the process. I'll conclude with this because I started thinking this week, like, um, for me and for us, too, like, what is it that prevents us from sacrificially loving other people? What, what is it, what are the hurdles that get in the way other than the fact that most of us are just really selfish? Like, just really self-motivating, self-protecting. And I'm not saying that, like, as a knock on you, like, you're a bunch of selfish people. I would tell you I'm the same way. I've said this before. I'll say it again. Nobody loves me more than me. Like, I love me some me, boy. Me and Kanye. Kanye loves him some Kanye. I love me some me. Like, so other than that, what is it that kind of gets in the way? What are the excuses that we use? What are the hurdles that get in the way of sacrificially loving each other and others in our life? And check this out, thus robbing us of the joy that Jesus is promising comes at the end of that. What gets in the way? Let's see if we can remove a couple of them together, okay? One thing that gets in the way is FOMO. FOMO. You know what FOMO is? It's fear of missing out. What that means is if I make a commitment that I will be at, you know, your house on Saturday morning at 8 a.m. to help you move, sacrificially loving somebody, what if something better comes up and I miss out on it? If I make a commitment, I'm going to come pick you up at the airport, sacrificially loving somebody. Picking somebody up at the airport, by the way, that's like the most sacrificially loving thing ever. Isn't that not the worst? People are like, you know, can you come pick me up at the airport? Like, I, I, I plan to wash my hair that day. I don't, you know, just looking for any excuse whatsoever. And we don't want to serve and baby kids. We don't want to help with communion prep. And we don't want to, because I might miss out on something. I might miss out on something. I'll just tell you two things. One, you are not that cool that there's other stuff going on in your life that you might miss out on. Like Kanye and Kim K, they're not going to call and say, hey, would you go to the Super Bowl with us this afternoon? That's not going to happen. That's not going to happen. Number one. Number two, number two, they're missing out on the joy of the Lord. That happens when you sacrificially love somebody. That's the best thing. The greatest thing is finding joy in sacrificially loving one another. Number two, we think to ourselves that we have nothing to offer I've got nothing to offer. What, what is it that I could offer somebody if I sacrificially love them and give to them? What is it that I have to offer? Well, so many of you in this room, you have age and experience. And you're like, well, I made a lot of bad decisions in my life. Great. Tell us about those so we can avoid them. Well, I have, no, I have nothing to offer. Like, I'm only 19. I'm in school. Well, as far as I'm concerned, the scripture says that you have a gift, a spiritual gift to edify the body. And not only that, but Paul says to Timothy, don't squander the gift, young person. Don't squander the gift, but fan it into flame. You have something to offer, Jesus says. And we'll help you find it if you want. Come talk to me. We'll help you find it. My life is too busy. 
you know, I, I, I'm, I'm in school, I'm in university, things are busy. When I, when I get married, I'll love sacrificially. My, my finances are pretty tight right now. You know, I, I've got tuition and all that stuff. And, you know, it's, I'm pretty packed. I don't have a lot of margin. You're right. When you get married and have children, you will have a whole lot more discretionary time and income. Promise. Promise. You just wait on that time. Then you can love sacrificially. I don't have money because my kids eat it all. Formula, graham crackers, frozen blueberries, and whatever else they eat. And parents in the room, you know that too. Especially parents with like, I got a buddy with uh, two, two kids in university, two boys in university. Like the, the kids can't sit down and eat one chicken breast. It's like physically impossible for them. They eat 19. It's just like, it's like are you just keeping Costco alive on your own? We say this to ourselves, I'm too busy, I don't have enough, I don't have enough money, I don't have enough time. That's not true, number one. Number two, that's, what, that's why we say sacrifice. Because you have to give something up. One of my friends is an elder, he's a brilliant guy. He said this to me one time, in order to start doing new stuff, you have to stop doing old stuff. Wow, that's profound, that's really good. Let me say that again. In order to start doing new stuff, you got to stop doing old stuff. If you're too busy, you're too pressed, you don't have margin, you're going to have to quit some things in order to do the best thing, and that's to love sacrificially. Sometimes we get analysis paralysis. I don't know about you, but I do. That's so many different ways in our life, so many different people that might need something from us we could sacrificially love. Pick one person and do for one person what you'd like to do for everybody. Keep going. People say, I tried that once. I tried sacrificial loving. I got burned. I didn't get anything out of it. This is not a sprint. This is a marathon. It's something we do over a long period of time so that our entire life reflects the character and priorities of Jesus. As one author said, it's a long obedience in the same direction. It's not a one-time thing. People don't want to serve, don't want to give back, don't want to sacrifice because sometimes what that means is that we have to submit ourselves to leadership in our life, leadership of an organization, leadership in a church, leadership somewhere else, leadership of our spouse. And we say things like, I don't like to be told what to do. Here's my advice. If that's you, get over it. Because sacrificially loving each other sometimes requires submission. And, we, and we, when people say this all the time, why aren't you sacrificially loving somebody? Why aren't you serving? Right now is more me time. It's more me time. I'm here to get fed. I'm just, I'm just really here to grow and to just be fed by the word. And you, you know what happens when you, when you get fed a lot, but you don't, you don't put that stuff to work? You know what happens? You get fat. That's what happens. That's what happens. It's good to get fed, but calories are a measurement of energy. That's what that's a measurement of. One calorie is like one unit of energy. So you put energy into your body, and you burn it off by putting it to work. Same thing spiritually. Same thing spiritually. You intake the word of God. You intake prayer. You intake God's spirit into you, and you share it with others by loving them sacrificially so that your joy would become full. It's never you time. It's always time for one another and sacrificially loving each other. And, and, and this, is, this is the thing to just get into our head and we'll conclude with this. It's not just about Jesus' commandment, although it is a commandment of the scripture. 
It's that his promise to you is that joy in all its fullness is waiting on the other side of sacrificial love. This is why the author of Hebrews says, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. There is joy set before you. And the inroad, there is no shortcut, is sacrificially loving others. Let's pray together and we'll be done. God, thank you for the opportunity to worship you today, to hear from you today. We pray, God, that you would mold us and make us into people who are actively, sacrificially serving one another and serving people in our lives. God, motivate us, exhort us, give us kind of a fan into flame, that passion to serve and sacrificially love. And God, open up doors of opportunity just to make it clear to us where we can step into them. We praise you and we give you thanks for being present in this place. In Christ's name, amen.